I want to talk about uh, the truth about divine healing. Uh, and just, <clears throat> I'm kind of titling it some honest talk about divine healing. So looking forward to sharing that. So I hope everybody out there is doing well. Like I said, whatever time you're watching, if you're logging on live, it's great to see you and be with you once again. And if you're watching later, um, that's cool too. So anyway, um, I don't know if divine healing is a topic that's on people's minds these days. You would think it would be during a pandemic, but uh, for whatever reason, I've been thinking about it a lot more the last few days. I want to talk about some of my experiences that I've had and um, try to make some sense of it and where I'm at. And by that, I mean experience with divine healing and want to maybe uh, help you get around maybe some of the blocks that you might be having in regards to divine healing or divine health. It's, it's a sticky issue. It always has been. But it's always been something that I've been really, really passionate about. Um, I think uh, just my heart's desire, if I could narrow it down to one thing. And I think my passion has been to uh, try to, as best I can, contribute to the alleviation of human suffering. Probably first my own, of course, to start with. But um, also just this drive inside of me to alleviate human suffering at whatever level I can. And those of you that were with us or have been with us, and some of you have been with me since uh, 2000, when I started pastoring, we started the church, and our vision for the church from the very beginning was to be a healing center. To be, We talked about being a therapeutic community. We talked about being a safe place where people could come. And uh, they could find healing not just for their physical body, but also mentally, emotionally. It's part of what drove me later on to get my degree in psychology, to get my degree again in clinical mental health counseling. Looked at so many different modalities for how to bring healing models to people, both therapeutically for mental wellness and mental health, and also um, physical well-being. And we were fairly successful at that, I think. I think most people that were part of what we were doing, even if they left later on because they didn't like some of the direction that we were going or for whatever reason, uh, I think they would all say that we were pretty successful. And there was a, definitely a season in the life of our church. There was a season in the life of me in ministry that I put a lot more focus on physical healing and ministering physical healing. And during that time, we saw a ton of miraculous things that were happening. Just to give you a little story, and I don't know why I'm sharing this one, and I didn't ask the permission of the person, so I won't say too much about who it was, um, but if, if the person watches, they'll know exactly <laughs> who they are. But I remember I was with a church in another part of the U.S. holding a Signs and Wonders conference or something like that, and this person, beautiful individual, a younger person, uh, just had a beautiful spirit, beautiful heart for people, uh, for the Lord, but had a neurological problem in her body that would leave her at times paralyzed. It, it would kind of come and go. The symptoms would come and go. So there would be times that she'd be okay. There'd be other times that she, she could walk, but not in a very balanced way. She would have trouble with her balance. Um, and then there were other times that she was even uh, in a wheelchair. 
And her church strongly believed in divine healing and saw a lot of results. Uh, really one of those places that believed it and actually saw it. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, places that believed it and didn't see it. But this was a place where divine healing, the miraculous, the supernatural, was a normal, regular occurrence. And uh, at the end of the meeting, as I often did, I called people up if they wanted to receive uh, the laying on the hands. It's what we called it back then, where you just place your hands on the person for the purpose of healing. We used the scripture in Mark chapter 16 about uh, the believers of Jesus. These signs will follow them. They shall lay their hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. And she was getting to a place where she was coming to, to coming to faith. We used to talk about that, coming to faith for her own uh, divine healing. And she told me later that she really didn't feel like she needed to come up. But people were pushing her, you know, get up there, get up there, get prayer. And I'm just laying hands on people, uh, and I'm doing it fairly quickly, long line of people, I don't know how many, maybe anywhere from 50 to 100 people. And all of a sudden, and I'm doing it kind of quickly and spontaneously, and all of a sudden I, I come to her and I start to lay my hands. And before I even really knew what I was doing, I pulled my hands away from her and I said, I can't lay hands on you. I said, because you don't need it because you've already come to faith or you've already been healed. And so she, you know, she stepped out of line. And later on that month, I think, she sent me a video where she had shared her testimony in front of the church. And what had happened was she had really come to a place the previous week of just being convinced of her own healing, that it, that she had it, that she didn't need to do anything else. It wasn't manifesting in her body yet. But those of you that remember that were part of the faith movement, we would talk about believing that you have received and you shall have uh sort of naming it and claiming it, meaning naming the, the outcome that you want, claiming it for yourself. She'd really come to this place of faith and didn't feel like she needed to go forward for healing and said in her mind, um, I don't need to go forward because I already have it. And, uh, you know, people who loved her and wanted to see her healed were encouraging her to go up front. So she goes up front and then all of a sudden when I get to her, I just stop, almost like I'd read her mind, Right. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but it was almost like I'd read her mind and I said, I can't lay hands on you because you've already received your healing. And so very shortly after that, she went to the doctor and her test came back normal and she was, was healed of the condition, not experiencing any more of the symptoms of the condition and testified later uh, about that in her church and, and sent me the video of it. And... So I'm just sharing that story because uh, it's it's going to tie into what we're going to talk about today, not just with divine healing, but we're going to look at various different aspects of this. And it's important. Uh, I've just been thinking back that that's a good example of a lot of the things that used to regularly occur for me in ministry, not just the miracle and the healing, but this sort of extrasensory perception of knowing things that I hadn't been told that were very specific and, and pertained to a person's life. Uh, I remember another time I've shared this story where I was I had a an atheist come to, into my office for counseling and sat there with me for 45 minutes trying to tell me why she didn't believe in God, why there was no such thing as God, why God didn't exist, uh, but yet still coming to a pastor and and finally. 
I just got tired of the conversation. Uh, nothing I could say was going to change her mind. And so I said, well, let's, um, let's pray. Is it okay if we pray? And even though she didn't believe in God, you know, that's what we did back then. We prayed for you. And so she said, yeah, that's fine. So, um, I sat there and I asked the Lord or spirit or at that time it was the Lord for sure. If, um, if I, if he had something for her, if the spirit had something for her. And I remember I got a name. I, I wish I could remember the name. It was not a common name, but I just got impressed with this name. And I looked at the lady and I said, uh, does this name mean anything to you? And she got this look of shock on her face. And she says, why are you asking me about that name? I said, because the spirit gave me the name. And she says, well, that was the name of my dog. It was her dog's name that she had lost, uh, had, had this dog since it was a puppy and it grew to old age. And she had just lost it last summer. And she said, but that's not the significance of the name. The significance of the name, now this was years ago before you had to have really long, elaborate passwords for stuff that had characters and numbers and, and uh, capital letters and all that stuff. You could just use basic words, and most people were. And she said, the significance of that name is that it's my password that I use on my email and on all my accounts. How did you know that name? And I remember I, I thought myself clever, clever at the time. I, I told her, well, you know, that's just God's way of letting you know that he cares about you, that that God does exist, and that uh, he knows how to get past your security systems, <laughs> your defenses that you put up. Uh, really, really kind of startled her and, and scared her. Um, and I remember I saw her months later. I ran into this woman, didn't recognize her. Uh, just in a store someplace, and she's like, you're that guy. And I'm like, what guy? She says, you're that guy, you're scary. And she reminded me of the story. And so we had so many uh, of those types of things uh, that have happened in my life. And it's one of the things that I want to talk about today that has kept me through this season of awakening and deconstruction and challenging beliefs and realizing so much of what I believed in in the past and participated in was thoroughly toxic for me and, and for other people as well. Even though we were healthier on, on, the, on the spectrum of toxicity with religion, I think everyone would agree we were on the healthier end of the spectrum. But still, there was just these toxic elements that were involved with it. And so 2016, you know, out of an experience that I had uh, that was supernatural or paranormal or however you want to understand it, I began to see the dysfunction and the patterns in my own life and the ministry and the church and, and other places as well and started going through this thing that we call Christian deconstruction or remodeling or um, what was another one? Anyway, reframing. That might be a good way to, a good term for it. Some people don't like the term deconstruction, so perhaps reframing is a better word. And one of the things that's kept me interested in spiritual things that's kept my faith in God is that I had so many undeniable experiences like that. And so I've kind of had this unique opportunity to try to make sense of where I'm at now and where I was back then and to reconcile those things, but also in spite of letting go of many of the beliefs that I previously had, I can't deny out of my own experience that there is something that we call God, some people call source, some people call spirit, whatever, but there is, there is something out there. There, there is 
realms and dimensions that surpass these physical realms and dimensions. And we do have potential and capabilities as human beings to operate in what we would call supernatural or paranormal things. So you could call it a gift, um, whatever. Uh, I want to I want to challenge some of those things, but but I want to share these things because I don't want to paint myself in any way, shape, or form as an expert on this topic because I'm not an expert on this topic. I don't know if there really are any experts per se on the topic and subject of divine healing or supernatural healing or healing that seems to defy what we understand in biology and medicine. Uh, and I want to stay within the confines of my own experience because one of the things that got me in trouble that I've seen uh, both with myself and with other people as, as we've gone on this journey is there really is... Um, we talk about things that we can't know for sure. We talk about philosophy, and I'm going to talk a little bit about philosophy. You're going to get a full bag today. I'm going to show you a tarot card. I'm going to read scripture. We're going to talk about philosophy. We're going to talk about the paranormal, the metaphysical. We're going to talk about God and weave it into the this idea, this experience of divine healing, and then what we can do to activate divine healing for ourselves or for other people that might that might need it. So, got a lot to cover today. But one of the things I think is important, or that I has become more important to me, uh, especially lately, is the need to stay within the confines of my own experience. Now, if you look at the natural world, there is so much that we know about the natural world, and there is so much that we don't know that we are still discovering. And... I'll give you two examples of this. Uh, a friend sent me a text this morning, um, an experience that he had, and it got me thinking on this, and, and so I want to tie it in. But um, one of the things he, he talked about was just the, in this text he sent me, was about the nature of reality, natural reality. And I want to use the example of looking through a telescope out at the cosmos and the universe or looking at a microscope, or you could say penetrating into nature and looking out beyond in this earth into the cosmos. And two things that become abundantly clear, whether you're looking in the telescope or the microscope, that they have in common is, number one, the nature of reality is very complex. And secondly... In the midst of that complexity, there is an implicate order. There is something that keeps protons spinning around atoms. There is something that keeps cells functioning according to their code within the body so that uh, a brain cell doesn't act like a heart cell uh, or a skin cell. You, you get what I'm saying. Uh, and so there is this, this order, there is this reproduction, there's this intelligence. So if we're just looking at the natural world, if you want evidence for God, if you want evidence for a creator, if you want evidence for divinity, it is all throughout nature in the sense that nature is very complex. It's not simple. 
and it has an implicate order to it. Now, let's bridge this to non-physical reality, because here's my point. Physical reality is very complex, very ordered, and follows certain patterns that can lead us to the conclusion, and for me, to no other conclusion, but they're the creator God, as my friend Ben Urban calls him, real God, creator source, whatever you want to call it, he, she, her, whatever. I don't want to get hung up on the semantics. Uh, There's an existence, there's an intelligence, there's an underlying intelligence that's holding and keeping all of that together and keeping that in place. But we, there's a lot that we don't know about the complexity of it. Now, I can look at the experiences that I just shared with you, and I could have hundreds of examples from my own life, knowing things that I didn't have the ability to know, seeing healing taking place, having various different experiences that are, again, paranormal or supernatural. And so I'm firmly convinced that there is also dimensions of reality that are non-physical, or at least that we believe are non-physical at this point. But why would we think that the nature of metaphysical reality, the nature of invisible reality, would be any less complex or any less ordered than physical reality? So now when we're dealing with the unseen, we're dealing with a lot something where there's a lot of complexity, where maybe there are some things that we know, but there's a whole lot that we don't know. And then if we step one, if we go one step further with that and assume and presuppose the presence of a creator, then how much more complex is the nature of our creator? And so one of the things that I've been wrestling with and trying to come to terms with is what is the nature of God? What is the nature of reality? What is the nature of the reality of this unseen world? What is the nature of phenomena that happen in our lives, in the lives of many, many people that are metaphysical or supernatural or paranormal, whatever term, again, you want to use? And what are the complexities of that? And then what do we know Versus what do we not know? Because here's the other thing, the other difficulty that we have as human beings. We like certainty and we like simple. Our our brain wants simple models. Our brain craves simplicity. And we don't like uncertainty, mostly emotionally, because we have such a strong need for safety and security. So whether you look at the Eastern model of the chakras, starting with the root chakra and working up to the crown chakra, or you look at a Western psychological model such as Maslow's hierarchy of human need, at the bottom of motivation is safety and security. And if we don't have a simple model that we can trust and have certainty about, then oftentimes that's going to threaten our safety and our security needs. And so, again, if you look at the chakra system, the root chakra has to do with your relationship with Earth, and it has to do with your safety and security needs. 
what you need to keep yourself alive and comfortable in this physical body. At the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy is also safety and security needs. When you're talking about spirituality, you're going way up in the chakra model to the crown chakra, the third eye chakra, or in Maslow's hierarchy, you're getting to the point of self-actualization. And so it's one of the challenges that we have that if we don't have simplicity and we don't have certainty and the lack thereof of simplicity and certainty when we're talking about unseen reality and metaphysical things and things about God, things that are true philosophy, and we don't have enough simplicity and certainty, and if that lack of simplicity and certainty threatens our baser instincts for survival, then those needs will override our ability to do the higher level thinking and contemplation that perhaps we need to be able to do in order to understand some of these other dimensions and dynamics that we have in life. And so this, for me, explains perfectly why the attraction for so many people to believe in the inerrancy of the Bible or to believe and be fully sold out to the revelation, you will, of what God is like that we gain from the scriptures and think that's it, you know, that the, the, the complexity of God and what we need to understand and everything is within the pages of a book. And as long as we go by the book, then we're okay. That, that provides us with simplicity. It provides us with security. But it doesn't necessarily provide us, and I don't think it does provide us, with a thorough map of, certainly not of nature, but also not a thorough map of the spiritual realm, not a thorough map of human consciousness, and definitely not a thorough map of what is the creator or what is God. So then that leaves us with these complexities, that leaves us with these questions that if we don't feel safe and secure in asking those questions, and that's the problem with the Bible, is the Bible and religion and Christianity doesn't let you feel safe to ask questions. It doesn't let you feel safe to explore beyond the confines of Jesus, because Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus is perfect theology. I want to do a YouTube live on that. Um, but that was something, you know, Bill Johnson made famous, uh, Jesus is perfect theology. Brian Zond is another preacher out there that says, you know, God was always like Jesus. There was never a time that God wasn't like Jesus. And yet, if we're honest, if you really read the scriptures, there are times when Jesus is as scary or scarier and meaner than Yahweh in the Old Testament with some of the things that he does and says in the Bible. So really, what we're saying is this caricature of what I want Jesus to be like is perfect theology because it fits what I want to believe and need to believe about the Creator in order for me to feel safe and secure. That's really what's going on at a psychological level. Now, I don't mean to take away your Lord <laughs> and leave you with an empty tomb. He's taken away my Lord again, and I don't know where he's laid him. I'm just trying to share with you how I'm thinking out these concepts and invite you to also consider some of these things with me because I think it will clear up some things when we start talking specifically about divine healing. So this brings me to my first point. The conceptualization that we have had of God based on the Christian charismatic movement and Christianity in general 
is very, what theologians call, I'm going to use a big term here, but I'll explain it, anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic. I see Vanessa's commenting. She did an excellent teaching somewhere on her page. I shared it too, I think. Uh, but really one of the best explanations that I've heard, and she talks a lot about this, about the anthropomorphism of God, how we take our human ideas, our human makeup, and we project it onto God so that God becomes, our concept of God becomes a larger version of ourself. But this God has very human characteristics, and you can see this all throughout the Bible. Uh, we talk about the hand of God, physical characteristics. We talk about the hand of God. We talk about the face of God. Remember that? How many of you remember that? Oh, Lord, we're seeking your face and not your hand. Uh, man, we found ways to make ourselves feel guilty. You know, if you were seeking power or something, seeking the hand of God, then no, 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 no. We want to seek his face and not his hand. Um, but those are anthropomorphic ideas in the physical. But we also do that emotionally. We assign things like wrath to God. Jealousy, the Bible says in places in the Old Testament that God is a jealous God. Uh, certainly even in the New Testament, it talks about the wrath of God, the love of God, the joy of the Lord. So now we're assigning um, human emotion to God. Uh, also, a thought to God, we talk about the mind of God, uh, the mind of the Spirit, and then, of course, the will of God. So we've, we, we have these impressions from Scripture that put God in physical form, having a face, having a hand, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. You can see that uh, throughout Scripture. Then we're assigning emotion to God. He's a jealous God. He's an angry God. He's a loving God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Then we're assigning mental uh, capacities when we talk about the mind of God or the mind of Christ. And then also the ability to choose when we talk about the will of God. And this is where most of the time we get stuck when we start talking about divine healing is, or in any numerous areas of life. I mean, talking about one of the things that keeps us frozen, the, the, the chosen frozen or frozen chosen or whatever we used to call it, uh, is this idea, am I in the will of God or what is the will of God for my life? Or more specifically, when we're talking about something like divine healing or divine intervention in your life, what is the will of God? So we've already, I think, you can see how the Bible casts God in this very human form and then we say we're made in the image of God so it's very easy for us to, to conceptualize God in those ways. So he's human, he's just human on a much bigger scale. And then he sits on a throne, and a throne implies authority and choice and will. And so this is where prayer comes in, and this is where people get, get messed up a lot with prayer, is, is what is the will of God? What is the choice that God is making? So for a lot of people, when they're facing trials in their life or they're facing difficult circumstances, they literally are praying to a God who's on a throne somewhere, a glorified human being, the concept of a glorified human being who sits on a throne someplace and makes choices and makes decisions and makes arbitrary decisions. So we could have a healing service. We had a few healing services, I suppose, where everybody in the service was healed, but not that many. Most of the time, uh, there were people that were healed, sometimes of really serious, life-threatening stuff, sometimes blind eyes, deaf ears. Like I mentioned, the person with paralysis at the beginning of the... Uh, of my talk, uh, and sometimes it was just, you know, back pain and the common cold or whatever, but the person who was really uh, in need, like their need was more desperate, 
oftentimes they walked out of those meetings not healed. And it's one of the things that really bothered me. Like, somebody could get healed of a cold or healed of back pain. Or we even had times, you know, people with broken bones where we pray for them and instantly their broken bone would be healed. But yet you could have a family who had a young child with leukemia or cancer or, I mean, man, there's some horrible diseases out there, right? And you would think the need there is so much greater. So if we conceptualize God as sitting on his throne and then deciding, then what is it about this God that we worshipped and said was good all the time that God could seem to be easily persuaded and moved with compassion to heal the sniffles. But in the more desperate needs, in the places where he could show out more to convince people that he's real so that they can believe and not go to hell, God was surprisingly not present or silent. So again, if we believe in this God, then he's choosing to heal this one, to not heal that one. Um, so then we have to deal with this psychologically. We have to deal with this emotionally. So then we try to come up with maybe we're not praying right. Maybe we're not doing it right. Uh, and so here was another, you know, teaching that we had back then. It's always the will of God to heal every person. Always the will of God to heal every person. It's always the will of God for as it is in heaven, so on earth. And we're the ones then that have to, uh, enforce that will or we're the ones that have to bring that into manifestation somehow for people and if and i heard so many preachers and teachers and i suppose i said this myself at times if it's not happening it's not god the problem's not with god because it's god's will the problem is with us and yet and yet it would seem that god would arbitrarily heal some and not heal others. And so then you always had to wrestle with that question, well, why didn't God heal my daughter? Why did God let my husband die? Why did God, you know, do it for this one and not for that one? And so then the answer became, well, faith. You you had to have more faith. This person had more faith than this other person over here had faith. And so... That, that's that's really fun, isn't it? So it's like, okay, so I, we had enough faith to heal the sniffles, but we didn't have enough faith to heal a, a crippled child, or we didn't have enough faith to stop cancer uh, from taking this person's life. Or again, God is this glorified human being in the sky that arbitrarily is deciding from his throne who, who receives and who doesn't. And, and so then the best we can come up with is God's ways are past our ways, and God is God, and... God is sovereign. Uh, so if God is sovereign, again, I, I just want to point this out. In my experience, then God is sovereign, healing the sniffles and healing a backache, healing an earache. But in his sovereignty, in the more desperate needs, oftentimes, God is silent and God is absent. And again, if one has to believe in order to miss eternal conscious torment in hell, then wouldn't it make sense, like, and, and God loves us, why doesn't God show out, you know, in some of these bigger areas? Uh, so these are some of the problems. These are some of the complexities that we get into when we start talking about 
divine healing. So I want to, again, come back to, I only want to speak from my experience. Because one of the problems that we have is we talk with such certainty about issues that we do not know from firsthand experience. And then we get into speculation. And if we elevate our speculation to the level of truth, then we, le- we elevate it to the level of an absolute. And we present that to people as this is the way it is, when perhaps we're just not being totally honest and human about the complexities of it and where we're at with it. I hope this is making sense to you. So what makes a difference? I want to submit, I want to, I want to throw out some, some things to you. What I think divine healing is versus what it's not. And I want to maybe perhaps answer some of these questions. The first thing I want to say is that God, I was so hungry, you know, as a young person for the supernatural and for the miraculous and that kind of thing. And I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of the experiences that I had, maybe it was just a gift. But uh, I really worked at it. It wasn't something that just started happening. If it was just a gift, I think, I think, it would have just started happening at some point. But that's not what happened. I spent the first 10 years of my Christian experience trying to figure this out and a lot of it in the faith movement because they were the only ones talking about it. They were the only ones talking about healing. They were the only ones talking about miracles. They were the only ones talking about divine intervention in that sense. And also at that time, the only ones that I could find that were offering some sense of empowerment, like we weren't just totally at the mercy of the sovereignty of God who for some reason chooses to bless some and not others or heal some and not others and whatever the case may be. And so I thought, okay, well, faith, faith is the answer. And so here's the problem I ran into and ran into this a lot. I'm sure many of you can relate. You know, there's all these churches that believed in healing and talked about healing and name it and claim it and confess it and possess it and all that stuff. But they didn't see a lot of it. They might have saw spatterings of it here and there. But for the most part, what I saw and what I experienced and what I witnessed, both for myself and for other people, being in it for 10 years, being in it deeply for a whole decade, was people trying to believe, trying to work up faith, somehow trying to achieve this spiritual achievement that then would get this God who arbitrarily chooses things to move on their behalf. And then they would play this sort of game of make-believe, you know, where they wouldn't come to church if they were sick, or they wouldn't confess that they were sick, or or we would say stuff like, you know, oh, that tickles me to death. Oh, brother, you ought not say that. You know, you're letting words of death come out of your mouth, and life and death is in the power of the tongue, and those that love it eat the fruit thereof. And so then we had the confession police, and and everybody going around, you know, trying to put everybody's confession in, in check, make sure you don't speak sickness and disease, make sure you don't speak poverty, only speak positive all the time. And life isn't positive all the time. (laughs) It just isn't. That is a fairy tale. That is a fantasy land. And so it encouraged people to disconnect from reality. And I think down the road, there were a lot of train wrecks that people had mentally, emotionally, mental, emotional, spiritual breakdowns because of that. And then something happened in 2000, um, where I got disillusioned with it all. 
and I began to explore um, meditation. Now, at that time, it was Christian contemplation, um, just sitting quietly and observing my thoughts and feelings and allowing those to be and realizing that there was a deeper self within me that was doing the thinking. There was a deeper self within me that was having the feelings. <clears throat> that, that Breaking that identification with mind. About the same time, I picked up Eckhart Tolle's book. This is about 2002, 2003. I picked up Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, The Power of Now, and began to read uh, The Power of Now, where he talks about the ego and being present, and you are not the mind. It talks about the pain body. Just some really revolutionary concepts. And... Because I had spent the first decade of my life memorizing scripture, as I'm reading The Power of Now, scripture's just exploding in me about how, wow, we can find these same principles that Eckhart Tolle is talking about in the Bible. And I really made The Power of Now my spiritual practice. I made meditation, quiet meditation, my spiritual practice. And I stopped laboring. And then I got a hold of some teaching, a book called The Healing Light by Agnes Sanford. And Agnes Sanford, very simple book, but she would just talk about seeing yourself filled with the light of God in your imagination. She talked about using the imagination, seeing yourself filled with the light of God, and then being able to become a conduit or a channel or uh, a window, however you want to understand it. Maybe a window, perhaps, is, is the best way through which the light of God could shine out and flow into others. And you could use your imagination and you could use your intention. And by imagining the light of God flowing through you and flowing into another person and then picturing in your mind the completed work of the healing, that you could get results that way. And so one of the first things that we did was we stopped, people would come up in prayer lines, we would tell them, stop, stop praying in tongues if they were Pentecostal, stop Saying, oh, Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe. You know, stop striving. Just relax. Put yourself in a very calm state and just receive. And then we sort of learned how to really be these conduits or these channels for this presence and for this power. And we began to see results. And the more we did it, the more results that we would see. And then, uh, over the last four years, I just... You know, in 2016, I really came to the realization, Aaron, there is so much that you have judged about yourself and about the world and about life that you have not experienced. You've simply mimicked the judgments of others, and specifically, you've mimicked the judgments of Christianity upon other people and other faiths and other traditions that you have no personal experience with. And I will never forget, I was reading Christ of the Celts by uh, J. Philip Newell, uh, John Philip Newell, I think is his name. And he has this story where, and, and one of the things that the Celtic church, they opposed Augustine and his belief in original sin, and they were condemned as heretics. They had a very creation-oriented spirituality versus a sinful redemption-oriented spirituality. And they were... Uh, they fancied themselves, that's a good British or UK term, right? They, they fancied themselves to be uh, a community that was patterned after the teachings of John rather than patterned after the teachings of Paul the Apostle. And 
I remember just being stuck in the prologue of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. And He is the true light that gives light to every person coming into the world. And I began to see that John does not begin with sinful redemption. He does not begin with the Garden of Eden. He does not begin with Israel. He begins with creation. and makes a firm statement that every person has the light of Christ within them. And so that got me interested in the Celtic version of Christianity, and I'm reading Christ of the Celts by John Philip Newell, and he tells this story that just was heartbreaking for me. He talked about how he did a talk on John chapter 1 at a ecumenical spiritual gathering, and by that I don't just mean churches. Um, It was up in Canada. There was people from all different faiths that were coming together to share their experience and their beliefs. And he finished his talk about how um, Christ is the light that gives light to every person coming into the world, that every person has the light of Christ within them. Richard Rohr has done a phenomenal work along these lines lately, too, with his book, The Universal Christ. And he tells a story about how after he had finished that a native, um, someone from one of the native tribes, stood up, and he said it was an elder from the tribe that stood up with tears in their eyes, and they said, I wonder where my people would be today. I wonder where your people would be today. I wonder where all of Western civilization, or all of North America at least, would be today. If the conquistadors who had come over from Europe came trying to see the light in us instead of the darkness. Man... That messed me up. I thought, I've been looking, because I've been taught through all these deliverance models, and I've memed, I've mimicked what other people told me. And I live in a worldview that if it's not Christian, it's not true. If it's not Christian, it's not right. It's not sanctified. They may have truth in it. There may be things we can learn, but we've got to pass it through the screen of our Christian filters in order to make it pure and clean and holy and sanctified and all that stuff. And I realized, man, all these other sort of spiritual things, I'm looking for the darkness rather than the light. So I set off, I I took a sabbatical and I set off, uh, we left town and I set off, um, I want to explore other people's faith, other people's experience looking for the light instead of the darkness. And I remember the first time, you know, I went to a a metaphysical fair and uh, scared to death, you know, to do anything like get a a, a reading or something because that's going to get me demonized. I remember I went to this this gathering at a a church that uh, was close to where we were living when we were uh, doing our sabbatical. We rented a house. And I went to this Wednesday night meeting, and I walked in, and the leaders of the meeting were, I'll just tell this one story, the leaders of the meeting were, was a psychologist and counselor, (laughs) so obviously as a counselor myself, that, you know, piqued my interest. And they asked me a little bit about myself, and I said I was an evangelical minister. And I remember the look on their face, like, (laughs) and then they tried to cover it, like that, that immediate reaction that the face has, but then they try to cover it, and, and tried to cover it and said, uh, Oh, well, we accept people from all walks and all faiths. And 
I, I just I, I got to share this story before I get into the next part of this. Um, so they said this is a diksha service, and I'm like, what in the world is diksha? Well, I found out later it was a Hindu term. And uh, they said what we do is, you know, at the end, you know, we we have some time of meditation, prayer, sharing, and then at the end we'll come around and lay hands on everybody. And if you don't want to receive the laying on of hands, then um, just raise your hand and we'll pass you over. We, we won't force it on you. And they did it with so much tact and, and honor and courtesy, so much more than I'd ever seen um, in most Christian places where they practice these things. And so I remember, man, they're, they're, I'm sitting in a circle and they're coming closer, coming closer. And I wanted to try it because I wanted to see what, happen, what happens if you try it, Aaron? What, what, what happens if you let them do this? But my training in my mind told me if I receive an impartation from someone and they told me they went to India to receive this blessing. And I thought if I receive an, an impartation who, from somebody who got it from a guru who probably prays to what I thought at the time demon gods, then I'm sure to get a demon. And I mean, I'm literally sweating. I'm so nervous because I didn't want to raise my hand. I, I wanted to try it, but I was so scared. And I remember playing this mental game with myself and saying, well, if I get a demon, I know enough people in deliverance ministry that they can get it out of me. <laughs> so <laughs> there it's that. And, and, oh, I forgot to share this part of the story. At the beginning of the meeting, they're calling on all these ascended masters. They're, they're praying to Jesus. They're praying to Mary. They're inviting the presence of Jesus. They're inviting the presence of Mary. Abba, Daba, Yogananda, uh, I don't even know, you know, Saint Germain. I don't even know all these entities that they're calling on. But I didn't feel anything dark or evil. I, I didn't, I didn't sense anything but love and acceptance and all that kind of stuff. And, they just had a light that came from them. And so I'm, I'm waiting, and I was always given to visions. It's one of the ways that God would frequently intervene in my life and talk to me. And it's like my spiritual eyes were open. Now, you can say this was a product of my imagination or whatever you want to do, but this was the experience. Remember, I'm talking about what I know. And I see in the room all these other beings. And I do see Jesus... <laughs> My white Jesus, Vanessa, <laughs> up above me and looking down on me. And I'll never forget the feeling in my heart. And I said, Lord, I said, the last thing that I want to do is be unfaithful to you. Last thing I want to do is be unfaithful to you. It's not why I'm here. I'm here because... I want to love people. <laughs> I'm here because I'm seeking answers. I'm here because I'm burnt out. And I'll never forget the gracious, loving reply that I got from the Lord. And it was, uh, it was basically Aaron and brought me to scripture in Jeremiah where it talks about broken cisterns that can hold no water. And he said, Aaron, you have exhausted <laughs> your exploration through Christianity and all of the various different healing models that it offers. And you found them to be broken cisterns that can hold no water. And you are looking, you are looking for that fountain of living water. And it's okay. 
And then they got to me. And I allowed them to lay hands on me. And I felt the presence, what I had felt so many different times in the charismatic movement when people laid hands on me, the presence of God flowing through me. And such a peace. And I went home that night with such a peace. And I had a dream. And I won't go into the dream because I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm, I'm digressing. Um, but anyway, I had confirmation that night in a dream. And that, you know, that, that changed my life. That, that made me see, okay, maybe some of what we've said is evil, isn't actually evil. And so then I began to talk to people from different perspectives and faiths. And one of the things I found out was that divine healing is much older than the Christian church. It's much older than the Pentecostal outpouring. It's even older than the ministry of Jesus. And I'm not talking about Elijah and, you know, the prophets that did this. The earliest religion in humanity, the earliest practice of spirituality and healing in humanity is called shamanism. Uh, interesting thing about shamanism is that you can take samples artifacts from various different times in history and the different cultures that had never met and never talked. You could take an aboriginal shaman, a Tibetan shaman, and a Native American shaman that were trained in the real traditions, the real stuff. I'm not talking about this stuff you get on the Internet. I'm talking about the real stuff. And they've never met, and yet they can come together, and they all have the same practices and the same principles. One other story I'll tell when we were in Phoenix, um, at this, this same place, this is kind of a crazy church, there was a, uh, a, a another healer that was coming <clears throat> to do a meeting, and his name was uh, Mohammed. And he, I'm, I'm assuming that he's Sufi. Um, definitely Muslim. And he did the laying on of hands. And it was like going to Toronto, if those of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was like a charismatic meeting. He would just come out. He'd start laying hands on people. People would start shaking. They'd fall on the ground. They'd start speaking in tongues. They'd start laughing hysterically. Some of them would get healed. It was like every other charismatic meeting I'd ever been in. And I was sitting there watching this happen. And I thought, my God, I could take this guy, bring him to my church, not tell people what his name is because they would get suspicious right off the bat over a name because that's just how we are. And I could let him minister, and people would think we had a glory outpouring move of the Spirit, and they would have no clue that he did not share the same beliefs that they shared. This is why I'm, sh I'm sharing these stories, because we thought it was belief. I thought it was belief, believing in Jesus, believing what the Word of God says, believing that by his stripes I was healed, believing that, that God's will was as in heaven, so on earth. If I could believe those concepts then I could see divine healing manifested. And yet, what I did throughout the 2000s was I would go to charismatic churches that believed all that stuff, but they never saw it. So here's the question, guys. If, if they believed it, they believed the book, they quoted the scriptures, they named it and claimed it, they, it was on their doctrinal statement, they prayed for the sick, they anointed with oil, they laid hands, sincere Christians, and they never saw it. Never saw it then belief cannot be the cause. 
By the same token, if you take people from other traditions that believe in different deities, that believe in, uh, they, they don't believe that stuff, they, they, don't, they don't even know the verse that by his stripes you were healed, and they're seeing results and they're releasing and ministering the healing power of God and the healing light of God and they're seeing results, then guess what? The belief has nothing to do with it. Nothing whatsoever to do with it. And that's what got, what got us hung up. We, we did all this speculation on stuff that we thought we needed to believe in order for this stuff to happen. And, and, and we got confused. We said, this happens because of the belief. And what I want to tell you, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, because I can still preach and feel the anointing. And I'm not even talking about Jesus, and I'm not talking about salvation. I can still minister in gifts of the Spirit, divine healing. I can feel the divine presence and the divine energy. I, 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 can, I can pray for people I have during the COVID crisis, pray for a couple people that were in really bad shape with COVID that were instantly healed. I, I had one, one uh, lady whose, whose son... Had had it pretty bad, had a confirmed positive. She had a lot of the symptoms, had lost her taste and her smell. The son had been had had a fever for many, many days. And I I tapped into that divine energy, the same divine energy that I would tap into in a miracle service. And I understood there needed to be a transference of that energy. I didn't know how to do it, and I thought Facebook. Facebook is a wonderful thing. So I opened up her Facebook page and I laid my hands on the Facebook page and I felt this presence and I felt this power and I felt this tingling and I felt this energy going into her Facebook page. And then I contacted her and I said, open up your Facebook page. When you open up your Facebook page, just receive, <laughs> just receive the healing power of God. However I said it, she opened it up. She felt the surge of the, the presence and the power come. And that night her son's uh, fever broke, recovered from the COVID. She never progressed beyond the symptoms of losing her uh, sense of taste and smell, and and that situation was over. Um, another situation where I had a person and I was d- doing some of these spiritual practices, and I could see like an X-ray is distance again distance because we're sheltering a place, but I could see into the lungs, I could see which lung was giving the most problem, and I ministered healing, and that next day, complete turnaround. For that individual, I called him. I said, um, is your left lung, do you, would you know, is your left lung worse than your right lung? Yes, actually it is. Um, and I have a lot of pain or had had a lot of pain in my left lung, not so much in my right lung. And I can tell you story after story of that. What I'm saying is, is that it's still working even though my beliefs have completely changed. So I'm going to tell you, believing what you believe about God, what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about the Bible has nothing to do, is is not the limitations of divine healing. It oftentimes just creates confusion and people who get upset with this God that we have projected, that we have mimicked from the scriptures and projected and seated on a throne because that's what the scriptures tell us. But if we start with creation and not the Bible, if we start with John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. If we start with life and light and this governing intelligence that has created this intricate and complex multiverse or universe or whatever that we live in, right? And 
and we just begin there and we begin with creation and and maybe we think like our ancestors who went to shaman instead of doctors who learned what they learned from creation and learned what they learned from their own experience then guys you cannot look at creation and arrive at the same model of the creator as you arrive at when you look at the Bible. You can't do it. Because here's a God, just think about the ocean. Think about, think about the diversity of God. Not just within humanity that we have different color of skin and different cultures and different ways of being. But think about any kingdom you want to, the vegetable kingdom, <laughs> the flowers, the insects, the marine life. There's so much diversity. And yet, and yet, and this is what the perennial wisdom says, there is a unifying force or power or life. In other words, I can take a starfish, an octopus, a dove, my dog, and my son, and my plant. So diverse, but yet unified by this life force. And so here's, I'm not going to get into some of the stuff I want to get into. I'll have to do a part two, because uh, I took too much time with my story. To set this up. But here's the thing. There is, this is what I believe. I do believe the scriptures when Paul said that God is not far from any of us. For in God we live and move and have our being. That we are surrounded we are interpenetrated, we are filled with, and the universe is permeated with divine presence, with life, power, and presence, with the energy of God that can bring healing, with the mind of God, if I can use that term, the intelligence of God that we can access that provides information that did not come to us because someone told us or because we read it in a book. And this source that created all things and holds all things together cannot be simplified down to a man, to an anthropomorphic version sitting on a throne, arbitrarily just deciding who gets what and who doesn't. That's a human conceptualization that has been used to access the reality of what I'm talking about, this intelligence, this life, this presence that is in all things 
and through all things and above all things and beyond all things that exists beyond the realm of our mental concepts and our beliefs and form, but is not separate from form, but rather interpenetrates form. And so, when we look at sickness and disease in the body, and I'll bring this home, when we look at sickness and disease in the body, we are talking about a process, a process somewhere in the body that has deviated off its course, that is somehow systemically not doing what the body used to do. Let's take cancer, for example. It used to be that cells would just cooperate, be normal, right? <laughs> but you get a tumor, what do you get? You get rogue cells that, that, that somehow they lose their programming and they begin to multiply throughout the body and attack other cells and, and function in a way that they didn't function before you had the cancer. So it was functioning fine, then for some reason something changed the programming and now it's operating differently. So there's a very ordered explanation, maybe not a why or cause, but there's an ordered explanation of what's happening that we can verify in every cancer cell that goes under a microscope or that, that people look at. So that's truth. That's truth that we have experienced, truth that we can know. And then healing, all healing, whether it's naturopathic healing, whether it's allopathic healing, whether it's spiritual healing, divine healing, also operates according to a certain pattern systemically within the body. Right? So there's a way to get something in there. So radiation, again, to use cancer, although I, I hate to use it because I, I do believe, you know, in, in decades from now we'll have different completely different treatments, and they'll look back on chemotherapy and radiation the way we look at bleeding when they were bleeding George Washington because he had strep throat <laughs> in maybe a couple hundred years. It'll be that barbaric. But let's just use this. So you, you put the chemotherapy in there, and there's a process that is taking place, an application or a process that's taking place that's causing the healing. Here's my point. The medicine doesn't have a will or a choice. The disease didn't have a will or a choice. But let's look at the healer in the, in the case of medicine, in the case of herbs, if you believe in herbal healing, um, whatever. Like the vitamin C or the echinacea or whatever, or elderberry, whatever it is that you're taking. It doesn't have a choice. It doesn't say, oh, I, I like this one, so I'm going to work for this one, but I don't like this one, I'm not going to work for this one, or I'm tired today. Um, it works according to a very set pattern. What I would like to suggest is that divine healing operates more on a set pattern than it operates on uh, the choice of this anthropomorphic God that we've put in the sky. That there is a way, and there are ways, and again, I said this at the beginning, I'm not an expert at this, but there are ways for us to tap into that life force, that unified force, that unified field. There are ways for us to relate with God. There are ways for us to tap into 
the the God in which we live and move and have our being, to access that incredible life force and then direct it and apply it to the place that it's needed in order to see improvement or a healing outcome take place in our lives. That, that's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that the people that got healed in my meetings got healed because of the application of a force of divine power that had little or nothing to do with was it the will of God any more than was it the will of the aspirin to take away your headache. Is this making sense to you? So then the question becomes, what what stops it? Like if we're surrounded by this force, if we're interpenetrated by it, if in it we're living and moving and having our, our very being, then what prevents it from just healing us? What prevents it from uh, just renewing or rejuvenating or renewing our youth and that kind of thing? <clears throat> and I'm probably going to have to save that <laughs> for part two. Um, and that's where I, I gave you a false promise. That's where I was going to get into the tarot, tarot cards and some of the stuff because there's perennial wisdom. There's a really powerful thing I want to show you in one of the major arcana cards that I think uh, really answers some of this question for us. So I'm going to leave that as a teaser out there for you. So I'll give you the simple answer, and then we'll go into it um, probably next week more in depth. The simple answer is <laughs> our... Somehow, our consciousness, our mind, our ability to think, feel, focus, imagine, and choose either creates transparency, and by transparency I mean a clean window through which the life and the light of the Logos can shine or creates a frustration and a short-circuiting and opaqueness that prevents the natural flow of divine healing power to ourselves and to others. And as human beings, we are plugged into this matrix, so to speak, we are the conduits, one of the conduits, through which this intelligence and this life and this thing we call God can flow and bring health and healing. And the degree to which we are effective at that then determines oftentimes the degree of the results that we see. Now, this brings us back again. Well, then if we don't get it, if, if we pray for healing and we don't get it, then is it, are you saying it's our fault because we didn't have enough faith? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it doesn't work that way at all. I'm saying that praying to this God in the sky, trying to convince him to do something for you, has nothing to do with it. That your faith in or not faith in or whatever has nothing to do with it. I'm saying that perhaps, perhaps, if we could look at it this way, 
there is a spiritual science. And just like we're limited in our scientific knowledge by where we're at in our generation and as human beings, we are also limited in our knowledge of spiritual science. And if we grow in our knowledge of spiritual science, we will see results where we did not see results before. That does not mean, and I've said this, you guys have heard me say this a bunch of times, that we become all-powerful genies that can just wield these tremendous, tremendous forces at will to stop everything bad from ever happening to anybody. Bad things are going to happen. Bad things are part of life. You're going to get sick. I'm going to get sick. Uh, our loved ones are going to have issues and things that they have to face with, have to face and deal with. What I would like to do and what I would like to share in the coming weeks, perhaps, is what can we do to avail ourselves to the presence and the power of God to become those transparent windows through which the light and life of God can shine in order that we might become more fully a healing presence within the world. And I know this is no mystery to anybody, but a lot of what prevents us is the subconscious patterning that has been layered into us by the society that become our heartfelt governing beliefs. That I can believe something up here, but hardwired into my body and downloaded into my subconscious might be something completely different. And until I learn how to deal with those subconscious programmings, I cannot become a window through which the light of God can shine. And that's why, going back and bringing this full circle, when I started practicing meditation, I was cleaning my window because I began to see these subconscious programmings for what they were, nothing but programmings. So that's why, when I started practicing stillness and I started practicing meditation, and I started practicing the power of now. And I began to realize I'm not my mind. And so here, I'll, I'll give you some of the keys that I would do. Before a healing service, what I would do is I would forget who I was. I would go through a very specific ritual of preparation. It was a ritual that I created. But I would spend time closing down and disidentifying with my mind. And filling myself through visualization and through meditation with the light and the life of God. And through that process, I would become, to varying degrees, an empty vessel. So that when I would come out and minister to the people, I was not thinking about Aaron Tomlinson, who can be a pain in the ass, <laughs> who you know, has human limitations, who struggles with anxiety at times, who uh, can't figure out, you know, who's not the handyman, <laughs> can't figure out how to change a light bulb practically, um, studied all this stuff, counselor, psychologist, father. Like, that was nowhere in my consciousness. I was just present to the people, present to, the, to, to, to this presence, this permeating presence. And I was willing to allow myself to be a vessel that 
that energy and that intelligence and that life could flow through in as much of an unhindered way as I possibly could without my mind getting in the way. Um, so there it is. So the processes for getting ourselves, the process is dealing with our stuff and our subconscious. And then there are some laws uh, that I think I've learned that can work and help in this area of divine healing. So I'm going to quit there. If there's enough interest, I'm really bummed. I didn't get into my tarot card and I didn't get into the Bible but I do believe, I tried to practice what I preached before I started this. I just tried to empty myself and just let whatever needed to come through me, come through me. So I hope this was helpful for you. I hope this uh, was a blessing to some of you. If this is an interest uh, to you, um, then I'll probably design a class or a course um, on this that you can take. And, and I'll give some nuggets as well um, on the future Facebook Lives. Um, and as always, I did put a, a give button at the top. We're not meeting locally yet. Um, still talking with our leaders about what we want to do there. Um, so as a consequence, you know, unless you're giving online, we're not getting offerings. Um, and we, if you want to have a place to come to <laughs> when, whenever we decide that we can or whenever we're finally past this crazy time of this pandemic, um, then, you know, there's a giving button at the top there you can give. And it goes, it doesn't come to me. It goes to uh, the Awakening Center uh, to keep us open and keep us functioning. So anyway, God bless you. I look forward to reading the comments. Um, if this was not, uh, yeah, bummed, I have to wait till next week. I just, I just don't want to wear everybody out with their time. I spent way too much time at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, hopefully it was a blessing to you. Um, and maybe I'll come on again. Uh, before next week to talk about some of this. Um, I'm really not just trying to set up something for next week. I just really am trying to be aware and conscious of the time. So, uh, But anyway, God bless you all. Love you all. And uh, thank you for taking the time to watch and listen.